Thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you want to partner with us by giving into this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message from our Oklahoma City campus pastor, Oscar Ortiz. That was the thing that shook the Roman Empire, that a man had risen from the dead, that death could not hold him. Christ is alive. Oh, you have the right words. You sing the right songs, but your heart is not right. You get out of it. It's humbling yourself and being broken by the power. We first became so involved in things and we forgot about that. That is the danger confronting us now. I want to welcome once again our Edmond campus and everyone watching online. And I know that the rain, how many of you guys got a little rain this morning, didn't stop you. So I'm, I am thankful for that. And as we, as we get ready to, to get our, uh, receive what the Lord has for us today, I want to also honor our lead pastor, Pastor John Chastin. Can we Honor him. Edmund, would you honor him with me? Can we love on him? He's watching this morning. He's been, he's, he's been up with me since, well, he texted me at 6.30, and, uh, which means he got to sleep in a little bit, um, if you know Pastor John. But also, we, I'm, I want to make sure that we know that, that he just had surgery, so we want to continue to be in prayer with him. He, he had an obstruction in his nasal cavity that was removed, so uh, he's not with us. So I, I told him, man, I can't wait to, 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 to hear what you sound like today because uh, your, your voice is probably going to be different. I asked him to, to send me some pictures of him, but he didn't. <laughs> and I honestly don't know why. I mean, it's not like I would post them on social media or anything for the world to see. And speaking of social media, if you don't... Um, don't follow me yet. You may have missed out on a very important story that I just share about because I just recently became a professional dog hair trimmer. Okay, maybe not professional, but so I'm going to show you the picture of, of our dog, Winston. Now, as you can see, Winston has an extra, uh, just a lot of hair. And I didn't want to pay $65. I know, I know. Some of you guys are like, that's nothing. That to me is a lot. So I just borrowed some hair trimmers. And, you know, I didn't watch any YouTube videos or anything, but it turned out pretty good. And he fits Oklahoma. So this is what our dog looks like now. I mean, you can... You can tell the gratitude in his eyes. You can, you can, you, I mean, I don't know if you like speak dog, but I do a little bit. And he's just like so touched by my generosity. And so I wanted to share that picture with you because I mean, he's just, he's a beautiful dog. But here, honestly, the funniest thing about it, and I wish I would have recorded it because I didn't. I mean, I did not tell my children I was going to do this. And especially my daughter, you know, if you know Winston, Winston spends, I mean, he goes to sleep under her bed every night. He goes to bed when she goes, okay? 
So I guess I should have along the way asked my, my daughter to, to see what, he, what she thought. She let me know within, within seconds what she thought about my doing. And uh, I didn't get a video. But this is... Uh, obviously, she was so emotional and grateful as well that she thought... I mean, I think I remember her is like, Daddy, so thankful that you did this. Or, Daddy, what have you done? It was one of those two. Um, that has really nothing to do with the message that I'm going to share with you today. But I just thought I, I, I'd share that with you. Uh, today we're going to dive in right into a story that is found in Matthew chapter 16. So get your phones there. Follow us on, uh, on if you follow us on social media, you can also go to the YouVersion app. And follow all the scriptures there. And as we get ready for, to dive into this story, I believe that there are some things in this story, some truths that we can pull out from this the very familiar story that, that I'm praying that brings some healing into our lives today. And I believe that they can bring healing because even though this scripture has, has been a little controversial over the past few centuries because of its meaning, because people have tried to dive into the depths of theology to try to discover what God meant, what Jesus meant when he, when he quoted this, when he said these words. And my goal is not just to be so as, as, as dive as deep and theologically, but my goal is to simply extract three true truths that I believe we can clearly see from this story, from this scripture. And in fact, I'll go ahead and share these three truths with you. The first one is the Father reveals the Son. The second one is Jesus builds the church. And the third one is church builds people. So Matthew 16, I'm going to invite you to stand once again. I know you just sat down, but we'd like to work out our abs and our, and our glutes here of victory. And so we're going to get you a little bit of exercise. But honestly, we, we just simply want to honor God as as we stand and say, Lord, would you just open up our ears? Would you open up our eyes to, to hear not what the speaker is saying, but most importantly, to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us today. And Matthew 16 says this. Now, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. He said to them, but who do you yourself say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And this is where the controversial story takes place. And it says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overpower it. It says we're talking a lot about building, whether it's Jesus building his church or building people. The title for my message is simply this. It's Hammer Time. It's hammer time. You say, okay, why is, why is that weird? Why some people reacted? Well, if some people reacted, it probably tells you they're, they're at least 30 and older. 
But another way I could say this is that as it relates to the church, the devil can touch this. You with me? Turn to the person next to you. Edmund, turn to the person next to you and let him know. It's hammer time. Okay, now let's, uh, let's be seated. And I promise I won't like do any quickly moves on you. The first truth that we're going to extract from this passage is this. The Father reveals the Son. So as we dive into this story, we know that Jesus and his disciples arrive in an area called Caesarea Philippi, which means to Caesar from Philip. It was built to honor Caesar. And it is in this area that there was a temple built for Caesar Augustus. Why is that important? Well, it is important because it helps us understand what's taking place with Jesus and his disciples arrived. There's a temple there built for Caesar Augustus, who happened to be the adopted son of Julius Caesar. If you remember Roman history, Julius Caesar was a Roman emperor who thought of himself as a god. He carried himself a God. He expected the title of God. In fact, a lot of the statues that you see of him, you see him wearing no shoes because gods would not wear shoes. He was, he was the, depicted in Rome as a God. So for, for Augustus Caesar to be his son, that meant he was the son of a God. So when Jesus and his disciples arrive into this area, they're standing near the Son of a God. And Jesus asks his disciples these two questions. Who do people say the Son of Man is? Right in front of the Son of a God. And then the second question he asks him is, who do you say I am? In other words, who do people say I am? When, when, when you, disciples, when you go to the mall, when you go to the market, when you get on social media, when you go to your friends' parties, what are they saying Jesus is? And the second question is, who do you say I am? In other words, is there a gap between what the culture says and what, do you, what you believe? Is there a difference? It was almost asking as if, as if he was saying, is your response going to be cultural or personal based on what you've seen closely from walking with Jesus. So when he has this question, obviously, there's always this annoying kid who's always raising his hand and saying, me, 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 and, and doesn't give anybody else an opportunity to answer. That was Peter. The problem with Peter is that he never raised his hand. He just automatically would speak, and Peter says, oh, I'm gonna, I, I, I know this one. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Not only does he say you are the Son of the living, the, the Son of, you are the Christ. He says you are the Son of the living God. In other words, the, the statues that we're standing around us are dead, and they're fake. But you are the Son of the living God. You're not the Son, the stone Son of a, of, a, of a stone God. You are the Son of the living God. And that was a huge declaration. Because by him saying this, he was saying, I'm not going to bow down to the political. 
political or religious idols of my day. I'm putting my trust in the name of Jesus. So Jesus responds, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, how did Jesus know that what the words coming out of Peter's mouth came from God? Simple. Because he recognized his father's voice. He knew the father's words and he recognized the father's voice in such a way that when Peter began to speak, Jesus thought on himself, I've heard this before. And these words that you're saying are the same words that the Father has spoken to me. What you're saying has come from the Father. I remember when we had our firstborn. When my wife was pregnant, actually, I would talk to her belly all the time. I mean, I would sing to her belly. I would pray to her belly. Let me remind you, I said she was pregnant, okay? I would sing, I would pray, and because I wanted, I mean, I, 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 had, I had heard that if you do this, then your children will re recognize your voice. So I remember the day that Preston would be born, that he obviously started to cry. But as soon as he began to hear my voice, he stopped crying. And in fact, and he directed his head towards me. I have it on video, but I'm not going to show it to you. I show you the picture of my dog. Come on, you know. That's... But here's what the nurses, and, I, and my wife may remember this. The nurses told me, okay, Daddy, uh, you need to stop talking because we need, we need him to cry. When he had heard my voice, and even though he may not be able to see me, he directed his head towards where the sound of my voice was coming from. He stopped crying. And the nurses told me, you need to stop talking so that he begins to cry again. We need all the junk from his lungs to, to come out. So, so part of our growing up, part of our maturity is learning to recognize the voice of the Father. It's learning to recognize what the Father says. And I'm so thankful that today we have the ability through the Holy Spirit that helps us know when the Father is speaking. But here's the dilemma in our time today. Because the world around us, the culture around us, doesn't speak the language of the Father. It speaks the language of the flesh. There's a contrast that Jesus is making in this statement. And the enemy will make you and I believe that what the flesh speaks, it's truth. To confuse us with the words coming from the Father. And to add to that dilemma, we can't help to look around us in the world that we live in to see that people enjoy their own interpretation of truth. That people has, people have their own truth. And here's a challenge. If my truth is different from you, from yours, you must tolerate it. That's what we hear being preached everywhere. 
and to add to that, but if your truth is different than mine, then it's intolerant and offensive. In other words, I can disagree with you, but don't you dare disagree with me because it is offensive. And what is, why is this important to understand? Listen, I can't help to look around us and know how many people continue to fall to what the flesh is saying to them today. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus didn't say flesh and blood can reveal things. He said, what you just said could not come out from flesh. And now more than ever, I am convinced that we live in a time where people, even well-meaning Christians, are being led astray by flesh and blood revelation. Flesh and blood revelation. Well, what does that mean, Pastor Oscar? Flesh and blood revelation is revelation that is based on mere human nature apart from divine influence. When you hear the words so loud from the flesh, but that have nothing to do with the Father. Let me give you four real quick things about flesh and blood revelation. It does not have God, the Father, as the primary source. Number two. It is carnal, not spiritual. It, it, it wants to promote what the flesh wants. Number three, it is earthly, not heavenly minded. When we say we're a kingdom minded first in this church, it means that we want to put heavenly minded things into our body. And number four, it is prone to self and opposed to God. Jesus said, Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, Simon, but my Father who is in heaven. A spiritual sign of maturity is known when the Father speaks versus when my flesh is wanting to be heard. As we grow in Christ, as we come to church, hopefully there will be times when your flesh begins to get a little bit uncomfortable. Did you know that's part of the job of the church? That we don't just speak to, to your flesh so that you can feel good about you, but that we bring the words of the Father so that you are transformed to the fullness of Christ. For you to come to church, for us to become the body of Christ, we must walk in transformation. But it is in this context that Jesus makes his statement, which is our second truth. Jesus builds his church. Jesus builds his church. When he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He was not just talking about some spiritual term, some place away from eternity where souls are condemned to hell. No, he was talking about a literal place. How many of you guys have been to the gates of hell? I went there last year with my wife, Pastor John. Pastor Dale, Pastor Wade. Do you know where the gates of hell are found? Literally, pull out your phone real quick. I'm going to give you permission. If you're watching live, pull out, pull out your phone. Edmund, pull out your phone real quickly. And search gates of hell in Bible times. What you will find is that the gates of hell are found in Caesarea of Philippi, where our text is found. In fact, you'll find some pictures of what the temple built for Augustus Caesar will, be, will, will look like. But 
To say that this area, that these temples, that the gates of hell were very, very pagan is to put it kindly. So when Jesus arrives with his disciples and he's talking about the gates of hell, guess what's in the background? A place known as the gates of hell. Which is very important for us to understand because this place was so pagan. So worldly. And what, you know, why did they call it the, the gates of hell? They called it the gates of hell because in ancient times, Greeks and Jews and everyone who would come in, they believed that when Satan and his angels were cast from heaven, this is the place where they arrived. Which makes sense. If Satan and his angels were cast from heaven and were thrown out of heaven, they would have a place to arrive. And that's what the ancients believed. What, what would make even more sense is that this place was so pagan because he was full of extreme Baal worship. That's what they built the temples and idols around this, these large temples. And Baal worship in this area meant that there was human sacrifice, meant that they were worshiping sexual exploration, meant that they were orgies and other things that I won't mention because I don't want your children to ask you, what does that mean? It was filthy. In fact, when we were there, they would tell us that they have found over a hundred altars around that area where child sacrifice would take place. They worship sexuality. They worship follow your own desires. They worship animal interaction. And they worship the killing of children. Does that sound familiar? When Jesus spoke of the gates of hell, he was informing them what the church would face. What the church continues to face even now. Some of the greatest dividing points in our church have to do with abortion, marriage, and sexuality. The strategy of the enemy hasn't changed in the last 2,000 years. But yet, this is the place where Jesus chooses To tell his disciples that he is going to build his church. And none of those issues, none of those things at the gate of hell will be able to stand when the church moves, over, uh, moves forward with the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ. Such a great reminder for us. This is where Jesus said, those things won't prevail against the church. Ephesians chapter verse 25 through 27 says this husband love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she would be holy and blameless as we speak of the church of Jesus I know I have to be careful because that word can bring maybe some, some bad memories to some of you. Because you've been hurt. Because as I, as I look at social media, as I look at, at, at different people even in my life who have been hurt by the church, I must remember, I must remind myself 
that it is not my job to sanctify the church. It is not my job to cleanse the church. It, it is not even my job to present the church to Jesus. That's the job of Jesus as the bridegroom. It is my job to allow Jesus through the Holy Spirit to sanctify me, to cleanse me, to remove any impurity, to set me apart for a purpose. Romans 12, 9 says this, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Jesus builds the church. And anything that we say or do towards the church or about the church must reflect this truth that Jesus is the one building his church. It is not my church. I attend victory, but I am, this is not my church. I'm part of the global church, but this is not my church. I'm simply a part of the, of the promise that Jesus has given so that I can do what he has called the church to do. And that is advance his kingdom. Which leads us into the third truth. Is that the church builds people. Remember how Peter, before he received this revelation, he went by Simon. The, the name Simon means he who hears and is with acceptance. To hear with acceptance. And I believe now is such an opportunity for our church, for the church, to listen to people who are shouting their need to be heard and to be accepted. People who have hurt because sometimes we as a church have not walked in the definition that Jesus called us to walk in. The church is called to listen to Simons and Simones. Simone is a girl name, right? If you're, I mean, in Spanish, Simone is actually a, a male name. So if your name is Simone, just go with me. But it is this truth. The church that builds people accepts Simons where they are, but doesn't leave them there. If you come to this church, if you're part of the global church, I hope you don't expect to come and just simply hear blood, flesh and blood revelation, but you actually hear a message of the gospel that transforms your heart and your spirit at the core, and you're changed from the inside out. So this is what happened in, in our story. Through the body of Christ or the disciples, in the presence of Jesus, Simon becomes Peter. What does Peter mean? Peter means rock. And this is who Jesus is building. But it is not an actual building. It is not a denomination. Jesus is building a living, breathing organism that causes eternal transformation in broken and lost people. That's who the church is. But wait, 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 Pastor Oscar. I guess Jesus called him a rock because Jesus didn't know what, who Peter was going to become. I mean, let's talk about it. Just the next day, Jesus rebukes Peter and calls him Satan. Then why would he call him a rock? Okay, well, maybe Jesus didn't know 
that Peter would cut a Roman soldier's ear off in an attempt to stop Jesus from going to the cross. So that's why he calls him a rock because Jesus didn't even know that Peter would try to walk on water and almost drown. In fact, the name that he should have given him should have been fearful, not rock. When he caught the Roman soldier's ear off, it should have been, his name should have been reckless, not rock. When Peter denied Jesus three times, his name should not be rock. It should be traitor. When Peter, I mean, can we just go on and on about some of the, the mess ups that Peter did? When Jesus needed his best friend at the most crucial time at the cross, Peter was nowhere to be found. A better name should have been hypocrite. Did Jesus not know that this was the same Peter? He was calling a rock. Of course he did. But it was Jesus seeing beyond who Peter was in that moment. I mean, just the next day, Matthew 16 tells us, from that time, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes, and to be killed and to be raised, raised up on the third day. And yet Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Jesus, listen, I hear from the Father. Um, I am blessed and... I, uh, I don't think the cross, I don't want the cross to be part of this journey. Let's find a different way. God forbid it, this shall never happen to you. And what does Jesus say? But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's purposes, but man's. Didn't Jesus know that this was the Peter he was calling a rock? He did. But he still chose in that moment to build Peter up. Jesus knew the horrible things that Peter was going to make in his future. And instead of calling him what we would have called him and what we call ourselves many times, fearful, reckless, traitor, hypocrite, Jesus still calls him rock strong, unmovable, unshakable. Here's what Jesus knew that Peter didn't know. Satan knows you by your name but calls you by your sin. God knows your sin and calls you by your name. Stop calling yourself what Jesus refuses to call you. Because he knows that's not part of your future. Christ will not leave his work in you halfway done. He is faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Don't quit because you don't see the result on your spiritual growth just yet. Jesus knows you and knows where you are. He, he sees beyond your issue. He sees beyond your struggle. He sees you in the cross with him overcoming death, hell, and the grave. And that means he's also overcoming what you're struggling with right now. He doesn't call you by your struggle. He calls you by what he sees you through his son, Jesus Christ. And this is 
what the church learns today from Jesus, that we are called to build people. Jesus is building you in order to build his church, in order to build people. Genesis 2.18. And I love this because I never thought about this picture as a picture of the church. But it says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Uh, come on. I mean, that's <laughs> pretty self-explanatory. Um, fellas, right? It's not good. All the ladies here are like, yep. Yep. It's not good. Not for dinner, not for cleaning, not for babysitting. It's not good. Anyway, just go on. But he said, I will make him a helper suitable for him. Who was Adam's helper? Eve. And Eve is also a type or a picture or a symbol of the church. The word suitable helper in Hebrew is the word neched, which means in front of oneself or your other self. In other words, God was telling Adam, I'm going to introduce to you the one who will complete you. Eve is a type and a representation of the church. And the reason why Jesus calls his church to move forward is because he knows what his church was always meant to be. A place where people come and find their other self. What does that mean? That means that if you're a Simon, that you'll find Peter being called out from you. That means after an encounter with Jesus, if you feel ashamed, encountering Jesus will help you. Encountering the body of Christ will help you feel forgiven. If you feel unloved, coming and being a part of the body of Christ will help you feel accepted and loved. If you used to be rejected because of the body of Christ, the church, now you feel accepted and welcome into this kingdom. If you used to feel lonely and anxious and alone, now you can belong to a community that helps you when you fall down. If you find your other self through the body of Christ, you may have used, maybe you used to be depressed, defeated, addicted, confused, lustful, mistreated, but now because of the body of Christ, you know that your name means that you're a son and a daughter of the living God. That is his church that is building. And his church is a community of people who submit to God's kingly rule through the person of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll say that again. A community of people who submit to God's kingly rule through the person of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't mean that it is a church based on just a gathering. Because it is a church to be a church has to be more than just a gathering. See, a church, when it's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, you cannot just have a gathering when people are bringing the lost to know Jesus. Anything that you have the Holy Spirit into turns into transformation and healing. And when people hear about transformation and healing, they can help but to make this gathering into a church. Because I know what, what flesh and blood revelation will tell you is that you can do church by yourself at home apart from Christianity. And nowhere in the New Testament do I see this taking place. I see people next to each other 
rubbing shoulders with each other, being vulnerable with each other, and calling the Peter out of, out of their Simons, on and on and on, and encouraging and building each other so that we can become the church that Jesus always envisioned that we would be. I'm talking about the church that is not based on a preacher, on, on, a, on a human identity. I mean the spirit-filled, breathing, word-living, people-loving, community-reaching, sick-healing, demon-casting body of Christ. That is the church. As I was prepping for this message, there are two words that I try my hardest to soften. The first one is the word father. Because that can get many of us, if not half of us, a little uncomfortable. Because it is hard for us to understand that the father reveals the son when we don't have a healthy concept of what a father looks like or even sounds like. Because for me, to apply my interpretation into that would mean that God the Father always sounds angry, separated, and distant. And I don't know what, what your father's voice sounded like. But I tried hard knowing that I don't want people to, to shut the word of what God is trying to do simply because they don't understand that there is such thing as a loving, healthy father who speaks love and restoration and transformation to his people. The second word that I was afraid to, to bring up was the word church. Because I know many, of peop many people that are watching Maybe you're in Edmond. Maybe you're watching online. And the word church has a bit of a hurtful connotation because of what you've experienced in the past. Someone said something to you. Someone did something to you. A church should have been there when you were going through your tough time, but they didn't show up. And because that didn't happen, is this really the church that he's going to build? And I recognize there's many of you that are still struggling with this. I have family members who are struggling today with something a church did to them 21 years ago. And I have to be sensitive to the fact that the churches are made up of imperfect people. But what I'm reminded through this story is that yes, they are made up of imperfect people who follow a perfect God, who has a perfect plan to restore humanity and to transform people's lives into a perfect plan of following Him. The church saved my life. I don't, I don't mean it just poetically. I mean it wholeheartedly. I remember being four years old and walking into my dad's bedroom after he was asleep, after everyone was asleep. I remember his pants hanging over the, the wooden chair, his army green pants that he wore to work. 
And I remember pulling, reaching my hand to his back pocket and pulling out his pack of cigarettes, Marlboro Lights. And taking him outside with me, grabbing the leftover liquor, the beers, and going outside so that I could continue to play. And I remember vividly at the age of four, this was playtime for me. People play soldiers, I played drunk with my brother. I played bar. I would set up paint cans with wooden blocks on top of them, and I would set up empty bottles of beer, and I was a bartender. And I remember one day as I was doing my routine of walking out of the home with a pack of cigarettes and get ready to enjoy my six-year-old life, there was a lady that lived right next to us that went by the name of Tia Blanca. She was my aunt. And our houses were right next to each other. We shared a backyard and we shared a driveway because... Both houses were built at the same time for both family members. So I always grew up with two houses in, 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 in this area. And one of the houses belonged to my dad's sister. And when I was at night, she was coming out to hang her clothes. And she noticed me. And she noticed what I was doing wasn't productive. She could have grabbed me by the ears and pulled me. And said, I'm going to tell your parents, I can't believe you're doing this. You're six years old. Why are you smoking and drinking liquor outside? I still remember what she said to me. She said, Oscar, what are you doing? Not with anger, but with compassion. I didn't have to reply to her to know in my heart that what I was doing was not going to be good for the rest of my life. And that's just a part of the person that I was being taught to become. I, remember, I would remember going up to my mom and practice on her all the cuss words that I had learned from my dad. And she couldn't do anything because I would just stand right behind my dad And that was, listen, so my aunt catches me outside and notices what I'm doing. She happened to be the wife of the pastor of a small Assembly of God church in that little town in Mexico. The next day, I'm pretty sure they had a conversation because the next day, my uncle comes to me and said, hey, I've noticed you singing when you play outside. Do you want to come and sing at church? I said, sure. So I started singing at church. When I tell you church saved my life, it, because it literally saved my life. I did not know that just five years later, our family would go through one of the most catastrophic events in our family that would change the history of our family as my dad would leave the home. And he was the church that stepped in consistently just to be there, to provide, to help our family, to pray with us, to let us cry. 
The church saved my life. Three years after that, we moved into a nation that was very unknown to me. And I remember that the one that stepped in, even though we were foreigners and unknown to anybody, it was the church that stepped in and began to minister, to help, and to become the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, the church saved my life. I would, I would grow up in that church, and I would hear the encouragement from my youth pastor and say, Oscar, there's a calling of God upon your life. He was someone that was saying, I know you think you're Simon, but I see Peter in you. And he would call me to go to Bible school, and after four years, I would graduate still messed up, broken, and incomplete. And there was a couple by the name of Ken and Diane Pierce who saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And they became the church of Jesus in my life. They were the closest thing that I had seen to Jesus. Because even though I saw the Simon in me, they began to call Peter out for me. And can't even till this day, 23 years later, he still calls the God, the men of God, the God has called me to be. Even though he knew that I was a Simon. That is the job of the church to call forth who God is calling you to be in spite of your past. Let me ask you this, Edmund, let me ask you this real quickly. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? For those of you watching online, what is he saying to you? What is the Father saying to you right now? I promise that he wants to bring the things that you've thrown away from your past, that you're saying, I don't want anything to do with this. God says, I can use that to build you, to build a better you. Not so that you can be better, but so that you can build other people. But in order to do that, you must have a revelation of the Father's love for you. It is in that that Jesus will be, build his church through you. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. As you move forward, hell can stop you. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? It is not my words. But it's the things that he's saying to you that there's no way that I could be speaking to you right now. What is he saying to you? What area of your life has he, has he suddenly walked in? And put a flashlight on and say, I want to heal this in you. If you've been broken by your definition of a father, I want to heal that. If you've been hurt and mistreated by someone in the church or by a church, I want to heal that. As I started attending church after the age of six, Here's a couple of things I learned from the church. The church is not perfect. It's made up of imperfect, imperfect people. Are there liars in the church? Yep. Are there mean Christians in the church? Absolutely. Are there traitors, hypocrites, 
reckless, fearful in the church? Yes, yes, and yes. And somehow, in the midst of all of that, God was able to, to pull this little boy from Mexico and gave him a name that my past can fight against because I know that I am a son of the living God. That was not revealed by flesh and blood. That was revealed by the, by the Father who is in heaven. Edmund, would you pray with me? Father, we come before you. I'm so thankful that I can call you Father. That I can call you Abba. That I don't have to fear that name anymore. That I don't have to fear that title anymore. So Abba, here we are. Would you transform and change our mind? Would you heal the areas where we've been hurt and where we've lacked? Would you awaken us to the calling of God upon us to be the church? That you will sanctify and perfect. Only you can do this. Only your love can do this. And we're grateful for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.